man, I have loved the last two weeks. I've loved just really getting to kind of share my heart with you and the mission and vision that God has laid there for our church um, moving forward into the future. And what's really made that even more special is hearing all the stories, the comments, getting the texts and phone calls about how God is starting to stir your hearts and making you seek how you can join in this mission to really impact lostness in our part of the world. And impacting that 1% of lostness in our area, which we've said 5,000 people over the next five years, man, that's a daunting task for any church. I've made a point to say that every week. No matter where you live, that's huge numbers. But specifically here in rural North Central Florida, that's amazingly huge. But I'm encouraged now more than ever that as we all, every single one of us, embrace the calling of God on our lives and learn how to live and be radically for others, that we're going to see it happen. We're going to see God do something special, something sweet, something amazing here uh, at the orchard. But like we said last week, it is going to take a family to pull this off. It's going to take a family of new locations and more partner churches. It's going to take men, women, and students all sold out for their good of the neighbor for the good of their neighbor, and for the sake of the mission. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take a family. But the question we didn't ask last week that I think has to be asked this week is, in a world that's as polarized and divided as ours, what's going to hold this family together? You know, when things are fractured, when we're so divided, when uh, things are so polarized, how can we hope to hold together as a family? And, and maybe that seems silly to you. Say, well, Chip, isn't a church supposed to stay together? Look, I get it. That's what's supposed to be. But if you've been around churches very long, you know this question's far more serious than it may sound. Not only are there churches every single day that are pulling apart, uh, there are families of churches that are, are pulling apart because they don't have the one thing that can hold them together. So if we're going to move forward as a family of churches, locations, partner churches, men and women embracing their call, the only hope we have of holding this family together is Jesus. Jesus as our focus, Jesus as our guide, Jesus as our defender, and Jesus as our power. We have to have Jesus above all of our distractions, above all of our divisions, above all of our doubts. If we want to hold together for the sake of the mission, we've got to have Jesus above all of it. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is that there are a lot of things in our life that not necessarily bad things. Maybe they are good things, but they climb up in our lives to places of importance that they never should reach. And if we're going to hold together as a church and a family of churches, we've got to learn to put Jesus above all of those things. We've got to put Jesus above all of it. For us to successfully impact 1% of the lostness in our communities, Jesus has to come before everything else that would take any place of priority in our lives. It has to be Jesus above all the other it we have going on in our lives. And see, around 2,000 years ago, there was a man who got this. He was known as Saul he became Paul, and he understood what it meant to put Jesus above everything else. And when he did, it changed the world. So if you got your Bibles this morning, I want you to uh, turn with me, maybe on this screen or you have a separate screen or the hard copy or whatever. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read a pretty lengthy passage of one of Paul's letters, but I think in this passage, he very clearly and specifically shows us what it looked like for him to have Jesus above everything else in his life. So if you got your Bibles, Philippians chapter one, uh, 3, we're going to start reading in verse 1. And this is what we read. 
Paul says, in addition, my brothers and sisters, so you see that family language here. He says, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. So just hold on right there. I think for you to understand how relevant this is to what I'm talking about, see, Paul was writing to a church that was trying to hold together but was slowly being torn apart. There were those he identified as dogs and evil workers who came in who were threatening to put other things, other opinions, other convictions above the primacy of Jesus, and it was pulling the church apart. They had qualifications. They had credentials. They had reasons to boast where they were saying, look at me, trust me, listen to me. And so what Paul is going to say is pretty incredible. He, he says, look, if anybody has credentials, I have credentials. Look at what he says. He says, they don't, we don't put confidence in the flesh, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. He says, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. See, I think what Paul understood and expressed here is something that we desperately need to rediscover for ourselves, for our churches, for this time now. And it's something simple, but it's something so important. What Paul understood is this, Jesus and our relationship with him is more important than anything else in our lives, and it's not even close. No matter how good something is, no matter how bad something is, that our relationship with Jesus, knowing him, being known by him, is the most important thing and nothing else is even close to that. If you go back to that passage and look, starting right around there in verse 4 all the way through verse 6, Paul lays out some pretty extensive and impressive defining characteristics and accomplishments of his life. He says that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. There was pride in his birth that he was a, a good Jewish man. He was uh, uh, born to Israel, uh, God's chosen people, the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe that the first king of Israel came from. Benjamin was his father's favorite son. He says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He goes on and he says, regarding the law, morality, he was a conservative Pharisee. He was morally upright. 
says regarding zeal, he said, man, I was so passionate that I even persecuted the church. I was so passionate about these things. I hunted Christians down, arrested them and threw them into prison. He says, and regarding the righteousness that was in the law, I was blameless. That's a huge statement. I can't make that statement. You can't make that statement. But Paul said, I kept every letter of the law. He had some impressive qualifications and accomplishments, but he very quickly follows it up and he says that none of it matters. Look at what he says. He says, but everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. He said, all those things, the things that we think were bad, the things that we think were good, none of it mattered. Or more specifically, none of it mattered compared to knowing Jesus, being known by him and helping others to know him. Matter of fact, it mattered so little to Paul that just a few verses later, he would refer to it as dung, like literal refuse, garbage. And the point It's not that all of these things were bad. I mean, some of them were good. Being a morally upright person, that's not a bad thing. But it's that to Paul, they didn't matter anymore. Paul didn't want to be known for anything other than his relationship with Jesus. And that's so huge. He says, I don't want to be known as a Jew. I don't want to be known as a Pharisee. I don't want to be known as passionate or righteous in myself. I want to be known for Jesus. And then if you skip all the way down to verse 15, as he kind of summarizes this, he says, therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. And so what Paul is saying here is that thinking this way of wanting to be known only for Jesus, thinking this way of Jesus above all of it, everything else in our lives, this is a mark of maturity. As we grow in our maturity as Christians, the importance of Jesus skyrockets and the importance of everything else begins to fade away. So here's what I know. All of you sitting there watching this today, maybe it's Sunday, maybe you watch it later in the week, but like Paul, you've got some bad things in your life. Like Paul, you've got some good things in your life. But the problem becomes when those bad things and maybe more often those good things in your life become God things in your life. They begin to creep up in importance and primacy and take priority in our lives. Doesn't mean they're bad in and of themselves, but far too often I find myself taking good things and placing them in a position of importance that they were never intended to hold. So how do we tell? Like, how can you tell when those good things in your life are are becoming God things? Well, I jotted down a couple of questions that have been good for me to help think about when things may be getting close to that line in my life. So I just want to share them with you. First question is this, what is it that takes most of your attention, affection, and allegiance? What is it that you're thinking about all the time? What is it that has your heart? What has your allegiance? And I think that word allegiance is so important because in our divided culture, we've become so tribal. And it seems like that if you don't toe the line on every single point with this party or that clique or that group, that you get kicked out, you get canceled. So what is it that demands your allegiance? And if you're giving them that allegiance, maybe that good thing has become a God thing. Another question that I paraphrase from Louis Giglio, he says, where are you spending most of your time, energy, and resources? 
I mean, it's pretty simple. Pull out your bank statement, pull out your calendar. Where are you giving that time, energy, and resource? Maybe some more specific, pertinent questions. What do you talk about most? Like, there's some things that if we were to keep a log of your conversation that would keep, keep popping up over and over again. And they're probably not bad things, but by how much you talk about them, it may be easy to think that they're becoming God things. What do you talk about most? How about this? What gets you fired up? Now, this is funny. We were talking about this in our communicators meeting this week, and we joked that uh, AJ and myself, we get fired up about things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we care about them. We just like to argue. But for most normal, not crazy people, there are certain things that do get you fired up because you care so much about them, because you're passionate about them. That's what Paul said. He was passionate about things. That's why he persecuted the church. So what is it in your life that when you talk about it, it gets you fired up in a hurry? Maybe you ask this, what has your wife said you can't talk about at Thanksgiving this week? What gets you fired up? How about this? What can't you lose? What is it in your life that you're so afraid of losing that you think if you were to lose it, your world would fall apart? Maybe that's a good indication that something that's good may have become more important than it should. And maybe out of all these, the easiest way for you to tell what good things in your life are close to becoming God things in your life is simply just to ask somebody close to you. Like ask your husband or wife, your kids, your parents, your friends, because by definition, you're blind to what you're blind to. And they can see things in your life that you can't. Maybe you think that you have it under control. Maybe you think it's not a big deal. Ask them, see what they say. But here's another way to look at this and to ask this question. I think this is the way that Paul might be thinking about this here in his letter to the Philippian church. Here's a question I want to ask you. What are you known for? Like we all know people that are known about certain things, right? Like this is the hunting guy. That's the CrossFit girl. That's the Mary Kay salesman or whatever. There are things that we're known for. So what are you known for? Because my prayer, my heart's desire is that as a church here at the orchard, we would be known for nothing but Jesus, that we wouldn't be known for great preaching or amazing music, that we wouldn't be known for how many people come. We wouldn't be known by how many churches we've started. We wouldn't be known by our buildings, our programs, or our donuts, but that when people think about us, when people talk about us, that we would be known as a church that intentionally and regularly puts Jesus above all the other it that's going on in our world. We want to be a church known for Jesus above all else. And the only way we do that is by letting these secondary and tertiary, that just means third level issues, be secondary and tertiary issues. By keeping these things that may be good things, but they're not God things in their proper place, we can proclaim loudly the primacy of Jesus. But here's the thing. We will be known as a church by what we're known, by why you're, what you're known for as an individual. I'm not sure we fully get that, that when people think of the orchard, they think of you. They think of who you are, that you go to church there. So we're only gonna be known for as a church what you are known for as an individual. And if I'm being really honest, and I wanna just kind of bring this out and dwell here for a minute, that a lot of our individual secondary and tertiary issues are becoming obstacles for the gospel in people's lives. And I'm not saying they're bad things. 
I'm just saying there's a lot of things that we care about, a lot of opinions and convictions we hold that are becoming obstacles to the gospel for the lost people in our part of the world. Let me show you a story, I think, that puts this very clearly. This past week, I was listening to Pastor Jimmy Scroggins preach. He's a pastor that has, you know, kind of helped our church in the past and allowed us to talk with him and learn from him. And he was sharing a story, I thought, that just kind of brought this into such a clear picture for for me. See, he has a, a young woman who's been attending his church for a while. She has gotten saved, gotten baptized, and attends pretty regularly, but her boyfriend does not. Her boyfriend's lost and won't come to church with her. And yet Pastor Jimmy sees him every week. Why? Because he goes to the same restaurant over and over, a little diner, and this guy works there. And so every week, Pastor Jimmy's like, man, we'd love to see you in church. And he said that this past week, he was talking to this guy and said, man, we see your girlfriend uh, every week. So great to have her here and what God's doing in her life. We would just love to see you come with her and join her in this. And I know she would too. And this particular week, this young man looks at Pastor Jimmy and says, you know what? I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to start coming to your church, but there's just one question I need to ask you first. Pastor Jimmy said he looked around and leaned in. He goes, so where are you on the vax? (laughs) I mean, think about that for a minute. What this young man just said is that what Pastor Jimmy's opinion was about a vaccine was going to determine whether or not he came to his church. Now, I'm not here to talk with you this morning about what your opinion is on the vaccine. Right now, that is not important to me. What is important to me is that the opinions and convictions we hold are becoming obstacles to the gospel for people who desperately need Jesus. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have those opinions. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have those convictions. But what I'm saying is we have to be very careful not to be known for those opinions and convictions. When people think about you, do they think about what you think about a particular issue? Or when they think about you, do they think about Jesus? Again, let me say it as clear as I can. I'm not saying you shouldn't have opinions. I'm not saying you shouldn't have strong conviction about many of these secondary issues. But I am pleading with you as your pastor, don't be known for them. Be known for Jesus. And I know, I get it. Right now, you're watching this and you're thinking to yourself, Chip, you don't get it, man. I have these opinions, convictions, whatever, because of Jesus. Because I'm a Christian, because I believe the Bible, I have these things because of Jesus. I, I get that, but, but I want you to lean in for just a minute because I have two questions for you that I really want you to think about and really be honest with yourself. Matter of fact, you're probably at home. Nobody's even looking at you. Be honest with yourself for just a minute. Number one, is the fact that you immediately in your mind jump to defend this thing, whatever it is, opinion, conviction, whatever, is the fact that you immediately jump to defend it a tell that it's become more of a God thing in your life than you really want to admit. I think that's something you need to think about. I'm not telling you where to come down. I'm saying maybe you ought to spend some time thinking about that. Maybe that reaction in your heart is a tell that this thing, this opinion, this conviction, whatever has become more important than it should. And then question number two, whatever this opinion conviction is that you have because of Jesus, because you're a Christian, are you spending more effort and energy pointing people to this issue than you are pointing to the Jesus behind it? And I think that 
It's pretty easy to tell. If you get honest with yourself, go back, scroll through your social media feed. Are you pointing people to how you want them to think about an issue? Or are you pointing them to the Jesus that has helped you develop a conviction around this issue? See, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to realize it or not, things that we don't think are that important to us become more important to us and can become an obstacle to the gospel for others. What we've got to understand is that today more than ever, every single one of us has influence with people that we may not even see in any given day. We have influence with people through social media, through video, through phone calls, through our workplaces, through our schools and our family. We have influence. And having influence is a lot like playing poker. And what I mean is this, is that you are gathering chips in your life by being a person of integrity, by keeping your word, by being there when nobody else is, by having long conversations, by loving, by caring. You are gathering chips of influence with people, but you're also spending those chips. You're spending those chips when you share your opinion, when you share your belief, when you try to change their mind or get a better deal from them on Facebook Marketplace or whatever. You're also spending those chips. So here's what I want you to think about. What would it look like if we all, as a family of churches, Lake City, Live Oak, Ocala, you online, our family churches in Mayo and Stark, what would it look like if we all decided to save our chips and push them all in together for Jesus? What if every one of us took every chip that we earned through our integrity, our caring, our loving, our serving, and we pushed those chips in for Jesus? Can I tell you, in my heart, I believe that's the only thing that's going to help us significantly impact lostness in our area. We don't cash our chips in for our hobbies, our opinions, or our politics, but we cash them in for Jesus above it all. Now to get here, what we've got to learn is how to die to ourselves to die to ourselves and truly sacrifice for the sake of the mission. Sacrifice our preferences and our pride. Sacrifice our platforms, our influence and opinions. We've got to come to the place where we can lay down and sacrifice all the other it in our lives. We have to take all of our chips and push them all in for Jesus. And that's exactly what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you not to have opinions. I'm asking, not asking you not to have convictions. I'm not asking you to not have these things, but I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you as your pastor to save your chips and push them in for Jesus because he is more important than everything else and it's not even close. It's not even close. I heard somebody say that we're living in a world where everything's falling apart. Our culture, our society, the material world around us, it's all falling apart and people are desperately looking for something to hold them together. That something is someone, it's Jesus. And you and I know that. 
You and I know that Jesus is the only thing that can hold us together when everything else is falling apart around us. And so what I'm asking is, would you join me in using everything we have and pointing people to him? Not pointing them to other things that as good as they may be are eventually gonna fall apart and fade away. But would you join me in taking all that we have and pointing them to the one thing that can hold them together through this life and into the next, Jesus Christ. Because I believe when you do that, when we embrace our call, when we learn how to truly be for others and learn how to sacrifice all these things for the sake of the mission, that we're gonna see lostness impacted in our part of the world. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the time to share this morning. And I pray that you would take this message and put it deep in our heart, God, that we would soberly, seriously look at our own selves and see where things in our life may have gotten out of whack and gotten out of proportion. God, where there may be some good things in our life that have risen to a level that they were never intended to. God, would you help us to reorient that? God, would you help us to be a people that are known only for Jesus, a people that are known only for him and not whatever other opinions or convictions we hold? God, and as we all gather our chips and push them in for the good of the gospel, the good of our neighbor and the sake of the mission, God, would you use our efforts to change eternity and the hearts of these men, women, and students. In your name we pray, amen.